Welcome to Brave. Uh, my name is Darren, and for those of you that are just joining us or are a part of our church, today's a very special day for us. We're planting our first church out of our church here in San Ramon, and we're planting a church down in Thousand Oaks. You're going to want to go visit. It's about 30 minutes from Malibu, so it's a great place to check out. But I just want to say thank you to all of you that responded to let us know, uh, friends, family, and people down in that area. That's awesome. And we're so excited. We're going to keep you updated. I'll bring back a report. So tonight at 6 o'clock is the very first Brave Thousand Oaks uh, large gathering together. So I'll bring you back a report next weekend. So we're really excited about that. I think it's no coincidence that we just finished studying the book of Acts. It took a whole year together as a church family. And out of the book of Acts, what we saw is, is they weren't called a congregation. They were a movement. They were a movement of planting churches and reaching beyond themselves. There's something incredibly healthy about that. You know, church planting is not the only sign, but it's certainly a sign of health when a church thinks beyond themselves. And so we're doing that. And I'm really proud of each and every one of you. And uh, this morning's teaching, we're continuing a series called Brave. We just recently changed our name to Brave. And uh, we've been discovering more about what it means to bravely follow Jesus. When I was uh, young, my grandmother and my mother taught me to pray the Lord's Prayer. And it's found in, in Matthew. And it's a prayer that Jesus prayed when he taught his followers how to pray. And then my mother then also taught our two sons, Samuel and Isaac, how to pray. And we use that prayer. In the ancient days, they called it praying the rounds. And you would use the Lord's Prayer as an outline that you would follow to pick back up on the different things that you want to cover when you're praying. But one of the verses uh, that's really important is in verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God has a new plan that actually includes a new heaven and a new earth. Anyone can see that our world as we know it has shifted and it's into a there's a speed of destruction that's unparalleled, I believe, in world history. Our homeland is no longer secure as it once was, though we have many brave men and women that are doing all they can to keep us safe and secure. But our world uh, feels very unstable right now. And where do you find real security? Uh, how can you build a strong, meaningful life and family in this day and age that we live in? To be brave today includes taking a long look at our own view of the world, what we believe about Scripture, what it says about the end times, and also our view of Jesus it used to be uh, in my day when I was growing up in the older generation that you could, you, you'd be born and I don't know how else to say it. You would just live a long, slow life. You'd work at the same factory for 50 years. You'd go to the same job for 50 years. Not much would change. And um, it was possible to live this long, slow life. And then at the end of your life, pray a prayer and decide to receive Jesus and God would come into your heart and life. And you, you kind of just had this sense, the pace of our world and the pace of life is there was always more time. But now the pace has increased. Events, experiences, uh, just life itself is moving much faster. And so we want it to slow down. We, we all long for simpler times that things would change, but our times today are in many ways very similar to the world 
that Jesus Christ walked into. When Jesus came to earth and walked this earth, there were terrorist groups. Uh, there were factions. There were cults. There were sects. Not sex, sex. There were uh, mystic beliefs. There were conservatives and liberals. There were deeply religious people that were both hypocrites and political machines all in the day and age that Jesus walked this earth. In the chaos of that first century church, there came a man, there came a man named Jesus Christ who was no ordinary man. He was God in human form and he showed up to show all of us a better way to live, a braver way to live. And so that is one of the ways to be brave is to forgive. It takes incredible courage to forgive. It's brave to care for the poor. I love what our ladies are going to be doing in uh, this women event that's coming up. The, the poor, the, I, I think of the story of when Jesus was at the temple and his followers were with him. And there was this widow who brought everything she had. She gave her last bit of money uh, into the temple, into the house of God. And, and Jesus said, basically, she gave all, but the wealthy, they only gave a portion of what they had. What a great illustration of the love of God that was in her heart and the bravery that she showed. And then Jesus taught us really radical things. And he said really penetrating words in his first major talk called the Sermon on the Mount. He said things like this, the meek will inherit the earth. The merciful will be shown mercy. The peacemakers will be called the children of God. You are blessed when you're persecuted for righteous living. Now, that doesn't mean you're blessed when you act like an idiot in the name of God. Okay? What he's saying here is you're blessed when you're persecuted for just living right values, living the way that God's heart in Scripture taught us to live. And that simply by living godly values, there'll come a day in our society that you'll be put down for that, that you'll be criticized for that. Our culture has become more and more militant. It's not just okay for you to believe what you believe, but we want to change what you believe. It's really not okay for you to believe that it's okay to follow Jesus in that way. We want to change you. And if, and if we can't change you, we'll call you names. We'll call you bigots. We'll call you all kinds of things to press you down on the very values that Jesus has taught us to live. It is brave to stand up for what you believe, even when you know other people will disagree. The early church began with empowerment, a desperate empowerment that all of us need, the filling of the Holy Spirit that enabled them to be witnesses of Jesus' message. The word witness comes from the Greek word martyr. In the early church and the birth of the church, people were willing to be martyred. They knew that if they witnessed, imagine a culture like that, that if you even share that you're a follower of Jesus, that you could be martyred or killed for your faith. It wasn't too long ago in Roseburg, Oregon, nine Christians were martyred. They were killed for their faith. And it wasn't too long ago that Tracy, my wife, was in a, a Bible study put on by a different organization. And, and there was ladies in this group. And one of the ladies says, I don't know that I would have said I was a Christian. The facilitator of the group said, I don't think I would have either. And yet God's word teaches us that if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. The Bible says, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear. The Bible says that in the last days that the goats and the sheep are going to be separated, that the wheats and the tares are going to be separated, that it's going to be, is this a real faith for me? 
Is Jesus really, truly Lord of my life? Am I willing to give my life for him? I was thinking this week about what did Jesus teach? You know, that's what I want to know as someone who who speaks each week. And I want to know what did Jesus preach? What did he teach? And I've been thinking about this this week. And, and there's a summary statement that's found in the Gospels, Mark chapter one, verse 15. And it goes like this. Jesus said this. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In this one verse, Jesus is saying that there's this great opportunity that's available to you and I. There are several Greek words which translate into this one English word, time. Kronos is the one that we're most familiar with. Uh, it's, it's the kind that's on your clock. Today was daylight savings. Way to go, by the way. You're all here. Good job. Um, but another word that's translated English word into time is, is kairos. Kairos. Kairos means an event. An opportunity in a moment of time where perhaps everything changes because it's the right time. Kairos moment is when God breaks into your circumstances through an event or a circumstance or a situation that impacts you to the point of it gives you an opportunity to change. Uh, I want to invite my wife out, Tracy, who uh, we were on our way to church this morning, and uh, she was reminding me of a story that happened uh, when we were newly married. I want Tracy to come on out and uh, and share that story with us firsthand. Yeah. Did did you just whistle at my wife? Who did, who did that? That was brave. We were, as Darren said, we were newly married, and uh, we were driving to the Santa Cruz Mountain area, we were doing a retreat for youth. Darren was youth pastor. And um, we were on the way there. Everything was great. We got there, and we had gotten into this huge, huge argument. Discussion. Argument. Kind of a heated discussion. (laughs) And I was really... We were expressing ourselves. (laughs) We were arguing. And so... (laughs) I was really mad, and so I ended up leaving. I left the camp and I went home and I was three hours and all the way home. I was just mad, fuming mad. And so we got, I got home and then I really felt guilty and kind of conviction coming over me. Like, wow, why did I leave? I shouldn't have left. And as I began that evening, I never slept. I was up all night and then feeling like I've got to get back. I've got to get back there. And so I really felt a strong urge just to tell the Lord how sorry I am. And I just repented and I asked God to forgive me. And the next morning early, got in my vehicle and I drove back up. And when I got there and saw Darren, he was pleasantly surprised that I had come back. And then I just said I was sorry to him. And so then we continued on from there. Thank you, honey. I remember it. I remember that. Thank you. Thank you. It's not often that she sins against me. <laughs> Here's the other side of that story. Um, I'd been a youth pastor. I'd been in the ministry for five years. We were newly married. And what she really needed to hear from her husband is how valuable she was and how she really was first in my life. And when we arrived at that camp... Uh, my focus was not on her at all. It was on a hundred kids running everywhere. But when she left, what God began to work in me 
was uh, after all the campers went to bed that night, I went back up, I went up on this mountain, and it was, for me, it was like a, a Abraham-Isaac story where you put your Isaac, your son that you love, or whatever you love on the altar, and you give it to God. And for me, I realized after five years of being in the ministry, I am married. And um, it, it was a watershed moment, a kairos moment for me in the sense of, uh, you know, I said, God, um, I'm married now, and I realized my ministry may be over as I know it. I don't know if she's coming back. I, I have no control over this. It was completely outside of my control. And um, I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. I want to be in unity with my wife, and I want to put her first before ministry and others. And so if you would bring her back to me, that would be wonderful. And I just want that the rest of my life. That was uh, 30 years ago. And that moment shaped me and shaped all of our 30 years of ministry of saying that my family and their needs are always compatible with the will of God to meet those needs. It was because of a softness in my heart and a softness in her heart and a willingness to repent. Uh, that word's not used very often. It's not a cool word. <laughs> repent. It just sounds bad. You know, it's like nobody, it's just not a cool word. And yet it can bring such healing. A Kairos moment is when God breaks into your circumstances through an event or situation that impacts you. And it can be in the form of something very, very positive or a negative event. It can be positive. It can be the day that you got married. That's a Kairos moment in your life. The birth of, of your first child is a Kairos moment. The, the first home that you buy is a Kairos moment. If the Royals win the World Series, that'll be a Kairos moment. If the Niners ever win a game ever again, <laughs> that'll be a I'm just kind of bleeding here a little bit. Um, however, there, there's also other kinds of Kairos moments that, that leave an impact on our lives because of tragic consequences. The, the, you know, the death of a loved one, a, a divorce, an argument with a coworker, the horrific event of September 11, 2001 that changed us forever. Kairos moments can be recognized in your life by the impact that they have in your life. And a lot of times you can recognize them by the amount of emotion that you feel. You feel emotion around it. You're not always sure why you feel the emotion, but you feel emotion. And it's in these moments, these moments, that we have the greatest potential for spiritual growth in our lives. Jesus says, the time has come. This Kairos moment has come to you. It's visited you personally. And then he says, the kingdom of God is near. A.W. Tozer wrote, a spiritual kingdom lies all about us, enclosing us, embracing us, altogether within reach of our inner selves, waiting for us to recognize it. God himself is here waiting for our response to his presence in our lives. When this Kairos moment happens, it's kind of like a portal of time that we can't see physically, but emotionally and spiritually, we know that God's presence is there in that moment. And there's that opportunity for me to be changed, for the kingdom of God to expand in my heart, for what hasn't been true about me to become true about me. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near you. It's right now in this moment. And that partaking in God's kingdom's work is as simple as this. Learning to listen to God's voice, that still small voice, and then responding obediently each time. It's as simple as this question. What is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? 
There are times where our resolve is to follow Jesus and, and we're challenged, where there's, there's something that we have to give up. There's something very personal that in our walk with Jesus that Jesus wants us to grab a hold of, that he wants us to commit to, and we're on the border, we're on the fence. But in order to continue to follow Jesus, Jesus says, this is the thing I'm requiring. This is, this is your cross. This is your moment. This is what I want you to commit to in this moment. Nobody else knows about it, but you know. And your response to that, your obedience to that, shapes your entire life and your future. Sometimes, by God's grace, these moments come, come with ease. But other times, they can be quite challenging where this path is obedience and this path is disobedience. Nobody else knows it, but you know it. And the end result is, if you choose the path of obedience, man, you always go deeper in this more meaningful, richer relationship with Jesus. You know, followers of Jesus, they tend to think of their faith like, a, like it's linear, like you have, you have a salvation experience, and then you just go through life all the way until you get to heaven. And most followers of Jesus who have made this decision, we're excited about heaven, but we think it's this line that we're following, that we're walking along. But when you read about the early church in the book of Acts, many of the followers of Jesus, it was way more dynamic than a line. Uh, you're, you're, you're just kind of walking along, and out of the clear blue, a kairos moment happens in your life that is meant to change you for the better. Now, you can always keep walking right, right through a, a kairos moment. Sometimes people do. The door opens in their heart. The Holy Spirit tugs on them. Hey, you know that wasn't Jesus. Go back and fix that. Go back and change that. Go back and deal with that. Or we just keep going. We ignore it. We, we press it back. We don't take ownership for the part that's our part. There's circumstances. We, we chalk it up to whatever it is. Oh, that was just coincidence. That wasn't God. It was just coincidence that that happened. Or you can learn to lean into you can lean into the situation and you can say this moment happens and instead of just continuing this way as if it didn't happen, I'm going to kind of move into this and I'm going to circle around what's happening in my life. And I'm going to begin to process this moment with Jesus. I'm going to, I want to begin to live and see things according to God's kingdom. I want to see my world differently. I want to march to the drumbeat of a different drummer than the rest of the world. I want to live from the inside out. I want to be soft in my spirit and in my heart. Jesus said, the time has come. This is a Kairos moment right here. The time has come, he said. He said, the kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news. Learning to follow Jesus always begins with a change of heart first. Maybe for some of you today that you, you, you aren't a follower of Jesus, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, but you're in a Kairos moment. It, it, it's that decision of, will I repent or will I just excuse it away? We live in a society that our culture uh, encourages, explain it away, excuse it away rather than true repentance. What is repentance? Biblically, it means to change one's mind and, as a result, to change one's actions. It's not just the excusing of it and then keep doing it. It's to change. Another way of putting it, it's to go a different direction than you're headed. It's brave to change your mind and let go of one belief or one way of living or one pattern in your life. And it begins with observing where you're at. It's saying, this is where... I really am. Before I move on too fast with the rest of the world and the pace of the world, there's an event, there's a moment, there's something that's asking myself, who am I? 
How am, I, how am I reading or reacting to this situation? What are my emotions? Why did I overreact to that person this week or this situation? What, what are the thoughts that are racing through my mind? What, what have I become too comfortable with? In other words, start by being honest with where you're at, with yourself. See things as they are and then begin to reflect. Why have I responded that way? Why do I feel the way that I feel? And if real change is to take place, we've got to start with being honest. What's at the root of my reaction? Is there anything in me that needs to change? Is there any patterns that are being challenged in my life? And this is where it requires being brave to follow Jesus, to actually let who we are be challenged for the better. This is where it gets really scary because we must invite other people into our circle, into our relationships, and into this process. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. There's something about bringing others into what we're dealing with. There's something healing that goes on in that open confession. If I'm busy, if I'm busy denying my position or, or standing on my position or my shortcomings or, or ignoring my growth points or that opportunity, I can move on out of the circle and keep going and I can blow everybody off. It's up to me. But when I become brave and I step into the circle and I include others in the response of what's going on, I open that door through confession and it brings healing as I begin to be honest with other people. Jesus said, the time has come, the opportunity, the event has presented itself to you for change. The next step, he says, is repent, to say, I changed my mind on this. I say out loud to another human being, this is who I am. You see me. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable with it. Help me. Pride keeps us from humility and love. It, it stiff, we stiffen our position and we choose not to change. On the other hand, the moment I let my guard down and I include someone else in, in their observations about me, the moment I begin to, to confess and say, yes, I did it. Yes, I am this. I do do this. Whatever this is, others are close by, ready to encourage, ready to support. When I was a younger pastor, I just out of a passion, out of a zeal and enthusiasm to want to help people, I tended to be quicker at confronting other people on whatever that issue was. And, and what I came to realize is that unless a person is actually willing and open to hear, unless there's a spirit or sense of humility and transparency, they're actually not ready to change. They actually don't want to hear you in that moment. On the other hand, if you're with a friend and you're talking and all of a sudden they start to open up their heart, that's a Kairos moment. Be sensitive to it. When they start to say, you know what? I'm seeing this in me. I'm seeing this in my life. I'm seeing this that I need to change. And in that moment in being a true friend, you have an opportunity. You don't go, oh, no big deal. <laughs> that's the wrong answer. It's like, wow, that took courage to say that. You're right. That does need to change because I'm your friend. I'm going to say that. I'm going to love you because it's a Kairos moment. It's brave to talk about who you really are in front of others, to share your process. This is what it makes home church so life-giving, to be so brave as to share with other people, to, to be brave to face our, our failures and our pain and our fears. 
when we allow a kairos moment, an event, a situation to actually speak to us, when we slow down long enough to hear that still small voice of God that is speaking to us, when we begin to observe and see ourselves for who we really are in that moment, and if we take that next brave step and we actually begin to discuss it with someone else and we kind of get it out there, have you noticed that when you do, it's like a huge load that's lifted? Ha, ah, finally, somebody else knows. Finally, I said what I'm dealing with. Finally, I got it all out of my head and heart out to somebody else. This is home church. This is spiritual friendship. This is Jesus-centered community. I've been, I've been following Jesus my whole life. And I've chosen not to lose sight of the fact of the mission of Jesus, to get comfortable with living in kind of a Christian bubble. You see, I have friends that believe differently than I believe, and they're my friends, and I love them. And I'm not afraid to get to know them or afraid to get to love other people. It's not about rejecting other people. It's, more, it's way more brave to accept and love people than it is to reject people. That's just fear. And as a result, I know that many people in our nation, they see Christianity as a crutch, as a way of finding uh, peace of mind for the uneducated. And many would even be so bold as to say that our biblical views are hurtful and judgmental because they're not hearing the message or trying to evangelize is somehow manipulation to get people to see things the way that you want them to see them. But you know what I found is that following Jesus is more about changing me than changing others. It's more about first judging me than judging others. And when I focus on my next best steps of obedience and the parts in my heart that need to be changed, the parts in me that are broken and need healing, incredible things happen because the perfect love of God casts out all fear out of my life and away from me. It's this transparency of leaning into the circle of friends. We talk about this to get out of the rows into a circle called the home church, get out of the rows into a serving team and doing life together. Will we be a community gracious enough for people to be who they really are that we might be transformed by who God really is? Imagine a community where confessing or even discussing your own conscience. Maybe recently you've made some decisions and you felt a check about it. You're just not sure that that was really God's best for you. And you feel safe enough to share with your home church. You feel safe enough to share with close friends, to discuss things together, to discern together what is living God's way and what would it look like in this situation. And then finding the faith to change. Jesus said, repent and believe. He's saying, not just turn away from your old ways, but actually live differently in faith and trust in him. So I guess the question is, what has Jesus changed in you lately? How dynamic is your relationship with him as you're walking with him? Are you seeing the Kairos moments? Are you leaning into the kingdom of God that is near you and beside you and within how dynamic and costly the venture is of following Jesus and changing in these days that we're in. Because we never stop changing. We never stop growing, hopefully. And we never arrive when it comes to following Jesus. 
I found the sooner that I accept that, the more I'm able to recognize an inability to achieve my own level of perfection apart from Jesus. I don't know what's going on in your life these days. I can tell you that for weeks and months now, the only sense I have is how absolutely dependent I am on God. I mean, I'm like the Wizard of Oz. I'm behind the curtain and I got nothing. Pull the curtain back, there's nothing there. An old guy with some levers, right? I don't have anything without the Holy Spirit. I don't have anything with the, without the presence of God going before me. I'm, I'm desperate. And I want to stay that way. The father was trying to take a Sunday afternoon nap and his little boy wanted to play. And, the, and you know, he was bored. Daddy, I'm bored. And so his father kept thought, well, okay, we need to do something here. I need to take a nap. And so there was a newspaper there on the kitchen table, and he opens it up, and there was a picture of a globe of, of a world map on the, on the newspaper. So what he does is he rips it all up into pieces, about 50 pieces, and it's there on the kitchen table. And he says to his son, this is a puzzle, and I want you to put all the pieces back together. And then he laid down to finish his nap. He's thinking, I'm going to get a good hour's nap out of this, Right? About 15 minutes later, the little boy wakes him up. Daddy, I've got it all finished. It's, it's all put together. And the dad's like, are you kidding me? He knew his son didn't know the names of the nations or the positions of the nations. And he says, well, how did you do that? And the little boy responded. He said, Daddy, there was a picture of a person's face on the back of the piece of paper, the newspaper that you tore up. And so when I got the person's face put back together... The world looked just fine. When it comes to repentance, it's not a bad word. It is a loving word. It's Jesus tugging on our heart to say, I'm trying to put you back together. But it starts with repentance. It starts with hearing the good shepherd's voice. And instead of rejecting it and being prideful and stiff and all that kind of stuff and all those excuses, it's just falling at the shepherd's feet and saying, I need to be changed. He just keeps calling. That's who he is. He's a shepherd. Jesus still calls us to follow him today. He's not growing weary of seeking you out. And today he says to all of us, no matter how broken you are, no matter how powerless you feel to turn to these certain struggles in your life, there's this one simple yet powerful solution. To see his face. His face filled with love. His eyes filled with love. And to receive fully the love that he has for you like a child who puts these pieces back together. Your earthly mother and father cannot do that for you, no matter how great they were or are. But you can see the face of the one person that you most desperately need to see, the face of the one who loves you unconditionally, that you can never escape from. The Bible says that he draws us with cords of loving kindness unto repentance. You cannot outrun the love of God. And some of you today, you know God's love. And in your minds, you know what that is for you. But maybe over time, you've got selfish regrets, selfish things that have crept into your life, just decisions and choices. And you've filled your heart with so many things that there's even gray things in there, things that you're not so sure about. You know, good people rarely just lose their way on a whim. It's usually a drifting. Maybe you forget how vital your quiet time is with God. And it's changed you. 
or how important your friends are, friends that are willing to speak the truth in love. When we neglect the disciplines that actually anchor our soul, the water of our hearts, the wellspring of our life becomes muddied. There's a story that illustrates this well. It took place in a small village in the Alps, and and though I, I don't know the name of the village, I remember its qualities, and it was a good village, and it was filled with friendly people, and they went through an economic difficult time. And so the village council got together, and the city was in irrepair, and they had all these different financial issues. And so they started to look down and review the budget one line item at a time. And as they reviewed all the different employees that worked for the village, for the city, they found a man that was receiving funds, and the only title that was given to his job was keeper of the spring. They, they, no one knew who he was personally, though they knew of this old man who lived up in the mountains near the village. And his only task was keeping the debris out of the town's water supply. Most felt, not knowing the whole history or the, the whole story, that just hiring him was more kind of a benevolent thing to do for a nice old man and give him something to do. And it seemed like a, a gift to the town that they could no longer afford, and so they cut his stipend. And they sent a little boy up to the village, up into the mountains, to let the old man know to come back home, and he came back home. Everything appeared to be fine, but two to three years later, it was a different story. The townspeople began to suffer illness and sickness. Even some died. And little by little, the town was actually filled with misery over time. And so they had, again, a town's meeting regarding their demise, and they believed that the sickness was linked to their water supply. And so they reinstated the keeper of the spring. And so the old man went back up into the hill, and he came to the fountainhead, to the spring, to the source of the water, and he began to remove the rock and the debris and the weeds and the limbs and all that had gone in there. It took considerable time to do all of this now because it had been neglected over two or three years. But after he removed it, pure, clean water began to flow again into the community, and health was restored. You are the keeper of your spring. God says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. You don't ever get away with dishonesty. It just hurts you. You don't ever get away with deception. You don't ever get away with the things that you know in your heart are not right. We know God created us in such a way that we know the condition of our heart. A clear mind will never come from a foggy soul. If you're here this morning and your heart's troubled or your head's confused, it may be a sign that you need to turn from some things. It may be things that everybody else is doing, but you just know in your heart you know what, it doesn't work for me. There may be a temptation that you know that's slowly destroying your life. It could be the, the character or lack of character of a friend that you're hanging out and frankly you just know they're influencing you more than you're influencing them. It could be toxic thinking. It could be the case that you're building in your mind and you're going nowhere good with your thinking. You're not alone. God never intended you to follow him alone. And this morning, I'd like to invite you, if you wouldn't mind, just to, just to bow your heads just for a few moments and just close your eyes, just in reverence to those that are around you. This is just a moment, a secret place with you and God. Today could be a Kairos moment for you. Is there something that you need to turn from, to let go of, 
and something you need to embrace? What is Jesus saying to you personally? Maybe for some, repenting means deciding to follow Jesus today. That you no longer want to live as the Lord of your own life. That you recognize, I need a Savior. And if you're here today and you say, you know what? I I don't have all my questions answered, but I do feel this tug in my heart that says I want to begin the spiritual journey of following Jesus. If you sense that in your heart, I'm not going to have you stand or come forward, but just, just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me, Pastor. That's me today. Go ahead and respond to that. Are you here today and you recognize, wow, if you took a snapshot photo of my heart, my wellspring, there's a lot of stuff in there right now. And I'm feeling a, a genuine loving conviction to turn from some of those things. Just slip your hand up and say, yeah, I've got some stuff I need to get rid of. Go ahead, just respond. It's just between you and God. Humble yourself before him. Let him change your mind about some things. That's great. You can lower your hands. I just want to encourage you before I'm going to pray, but I just want to say that bring whatever God's working in you out into the open and begin to talk with friends about it. That's what community and church family is really all about. Father in heaven, I just pray for all of us today that you would speak to our hearts, you would speak to our minds, you would show us what we need to change and that we would allow you to transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.